is Sophie Wilson, and you are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. And as we walk into the foliage, this guy comes out of the forest right up to me, and he's got a machete, and he gets right in my face, and he's like, do you have a cell phone? And I was like, no. And he's like, you don't have a cell phone? I'm like, no. And then he says, he drops like the bombshell. He says, my wife has just been raped. Hello. This is Linus Wilson uh, from the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. I'm excited about this second episode. We have a great guest on, Tate McDaniel of Sundowner Sails Again. That was Tate in the opening clip, and we'll hear more about their adventures in the Western Caribbean and the Gulf of Mexico. Today, we're going to talk about his travels uh, and getting his boat ready for the big trip in New Orleans. He went from New Orleans uh, to Panama in 2015, and he's currently uh, taking an RV around the United States with his uh, wife, Danny. They have a great uh, YouTube series that you should check out. They have a wonderful blog um, that is very popular, and I'm just uh, overjoyed to have the chance to talk to him, especially since I wanted to make a lot of the stops uh, in the near future uh, that he and his wife uh, Danny made uh, back in 2015. But first I wanted to talk about uh, a kind of hot topic in the cruising world uh, is the, the opening of Cuba to boats. And I wrote this uh, little piece uh, that I think that is very relevant. And I think it, it really has some actionable things that uh, perhaps uh, the listeners may want to do. I think one of the, the big uh, misconceptions maybe, if you haven't really studied uh, the Cuba issue, is that a lot of the changes have been all administrative changes, uh, which have been coming from... Uh, basically the outgoing administration uh, in, in the presidency. But there is more that they could conceivably do under uh, current law and regulation. And uh, I, I talk about that in this, although I think the timing of when they're going to do that is probably towards the end of this month if they're going to do it. Uh, so I think this is a world exclusive for this. Uh, I had some kind of uh, long discussions with the U.S. Coast Guard uh, who helps administer uh, the process uh, for approving boats to go to Cuba legally, U.S. flag boats with uh, U.S. crews. Uh, and, and I think that uh, this will have some valuable advice, hopefully, uh, if you're uh, thinking about going to Cuba. Of course, the penalties are very stiff for uh, going to Cuba illegally. That being said, I don't believe it's enforced very much, but I'm not a lawyer. This is not legal advice. Every skipper makes his or her own uh, decision about what they, where they should go, what they should do, what uh, rules they should follow, etc. You know, my general uh, opinion on the, the cruising in Cuba is that and, and the Cuba embargo generally is that it, it's time has long passed. Uh, it, was, it was created uh, basically because of the Cuban Missile Crisis in the 1950s. Uh, over 50 years later, the reasons for the embargo are long gone, and now we have a lot of regulation and, and uh, a, a very arduous law that not only hurts Americans, but I think hurts Cubans unnecessarily without doing a thing for regime change. So that is, that's my particular opinion. I, I'm, a, I'm a finance professor, and so I try to look at uh, the political process, not just from my own set of opinions about, you know, what policy is best, but I also try to think about it in terms of what is likely to happen in the future. And in terms of Cuba, I think it's very uncertain uh, when we get a new president, what will happen. I think if you look, 
probably on the Democratic side, there's a lot of candidates, and I'm not advocating any candidate or party that probably would extend the current administration's policies of kind of loosening the embargo on Cuba and maybe even supporting an end of the embargo if there were legislative action to that effect. On the Republican side, it's uh, far less, it's, it's more likely uh, that the Cuba embargo and maybe some of the rollback and restrictions that we have today in 2016, mostly by administrative actions taken by the lame duck administration in 2015, those restrictions on traveling to Cuba may be rolled back. Uh, so if you look at kind of the number two and three candidates in the polls on the Republican side, they've uh, been uh, very supportive of the embargo and uh, very critical of uh, the, the current policy of engagement with the Castro regime. So what we try to do in financial markets uh, is kind of handicap uh, what are the likely outcomes for uh, a particular situation. And, uh, you know, I think if you're handicapping what's going to happen with the Cuba policy, I think it's not clear that we will see a lifting of the embargo in the coming years or a, a further loosening of the policies of 2015 and going into 2016 uh, when we get a new president and new Congress. I'm hopeful that that will be the case, but I'm, I'm not sure about that. And I want to make it clear that I think there are a lot more important issues uh, facing Americans and that everyone should vote their conscience. And I'm not advocating that they vote for any particular candidate or political party. Uh, so I, I think uh, reasonable people can disagree on on many such issues, and I try to keep you know my discussions uh, not in the political realm, except to uh, in this case to to talk to people that are thinking about uh, going to Cuba uh, by boat. I think 2016 is the year to do it. And there's a process to do that, to do it legally, if you want to do it legally. Um, and so I'll talk about this uh, in this short piece that I wrote. The U.S. Coast Guard Cuba permit process is the last hurdle for U.S. boaters. Today it is easier than ever to visit Cuba by boat, but there is one big hurdle that most U.S. boaters must clear to travel to Cuba. At the time of writing, they must get a permit from the U.S. Coast Guard, USCG. Actually, three approvals are needed, but the U.S. Treasury Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC, and the U.S. Commerce Bureau of Industry and Security, BIS, offer no application licenses. Thus, some U.S. boaters who qualify only have to apply for the U.S. Coast Guard permit CG 3300 form to legally sail to Cuba. On February 26, 2004, in Proclamation 7757, George W. Bush declared that Cuba was a state sponsor of terrorism. In 2004, the U.S. Coast Guard was then directed to create regulations restricting the access of American boats visiting Cuba on top of the requirements by the U.S. Treasury and Commerce Department. The federal government has been repealing the state sponsor of terrorism designation for Cuba, but the USCG is behind the curve. On May 29, 2015, the White House removed the state sponsor of terrorism designation on Cuba. On July 22, 2015, the Bureau of Industry and Security, BIS, of the U.S. Commerce Department published a rule in the Federal Register to implement the rescission of Cuba's state sponsor of terrorism designation. The U.S. Coast Guard's Captain James D. Carlson emailed me that the U.S. Coast Guard's permit authority stems from an annual renewal which expires every February 26th. In these yearly renewals, the President authorizes a continuation of national emergency with respect to Cuba and the emergency authority relating to the regulation of the anchorage and movement of vessels. Based on recent White House actions, 
it seems probable that President Obama will not sign a renewal on February 26, 2016. Captain Carlson warns that the state sponsor of terrorism designation is just one of many factors underlying the declaration of continuation of national emergency with respect to Cuba. As long as the president signs those renewals, U.S. boaters face stiff fines, seizure of their boats, and jail time if they don't obtain USCG permits before entering Cuban territorial waters. What the U.S. Coast Guard regulation does enforce is the embargo. It's a triple check of boaters who have been approved to go by the U.S. Treasury's Office of Foreign Assets Control, OFAC, and the U.S. Department of Commerce's Bureau of Industry and Security, BIS. Boaters can only apply with USCG Form CG3300 after obtaining approvals from OFAC and BIS. Since September 21, 2015, approval has been a lot easier to get for boaters planning temporary sojourns of 14 days or less to Cuba. Boaters can obtain general licenses for themselves and their crew, OFAC approval, and for their boat, BIS approval, merely if they write down why they are in one of 12 categories of travelers permitted by the embargo. Those categories are as follows, family visits, official business of the U.S. government, foreign governments, and certain intergovernmental organizations, journalistic activity, professional research, and professional meetings, educational activities, religious activities, public performances, clinics, workshops, athletic and other competitions and exhibitions, support for the Cuban people, humanitarian projects, activities of private foundations or research or educational institutes, exportation, importation, or transmission of information or informational materials, and certain other authorized export transactions. There is no limit on the amount of money authorized travelers can spend in Cuba. Each U.S. traveler to Cuba is limited to bringing back less than $100 in tobacco and alcohol, and $400 in total goods per person into the United States. None of these items important can be resold. Unfortunately, Americans traveling to Cuba legally cannot bring back a box of Cohiba Viheque cigars. This ease process has meant the USCG has no doubt received a surge of applications which it may be ill-prepared to process. Rosa Garrison, who processes the Cuba permit applications for the USCG, called me a few days after I applied and asserted over the phone that I was going to visit under a temporary sojourn from the BIS. In fact, I applied and was granted a one-year permit, for which I supplied a permit number on the CG3300. Clearly, she had confused my application with that of other boaters, even after I sent several emails to USCG to correct their error. In addition to speaking to Ms. Garrison over the phone, they still persisted in saying I was traveling under a 14-day permit. I plan to write my third book about traveling from New Orleans to Panama on a 31-foot sailboat. I had some articles published in, by sailing magazines. My application was under the journalistic exception. I've corresponded with one boater who qualified it for a journalistic exception certified by BAS prior to the general licensing reforms in September 2015 because of his blog about his family's travels in a catamaran. He told me he was not aware that he needed a USCG permit and had not at the time of correspondence sought USCG approval. For Southern boaters, Cuba is in the way if you're coming from the Gulf of Mexico or Florida. Being from New Orleans, I wanted to stop. Nevertheless, Ms. Garrison of the U.S. Coast Guard also asserted that you must return to the U.S. under OFAC general licenses. This is only true under temporary sojourns without a BAS application. And even that is controversial because a press release about this seems to indicate that temporary sojourns only apply uh, to round trips that begin and start and begin and end in the United States. But the regulations seem far less clear and seem to indicate that it is possible for a uh, boat to go from a third country to Cuba to another country. 
so for example, a cruise from the Bahamas to Cuba to Jamaica may be possible, but that is that is under dispute, and it's if you want to be safe, you probably will want to apply for a uh, license for your boat from BIS. Certainly, OFAC, the U.S. Treasury, since 2015 has circulated in a frequently asked question that says that there was no requirement for travels to come from and return directly to the United States. I spoke to Captain Mark J. Fedor of the USCG 7th District and he said that his office had rejected applications of boaters not coming from and returning to the U.S. If a boater plans to sail from the Bahamas to Cuba, for example, that skipper probably needs to apply for a BAS license prior to applying with the USCG, uh, with uh, USCG 3300 permit. The U.S. Coast Guard eventually reconsidered and approved my Cuba application, apologizing for not reading my BIS permit. It took me four months, three applications, and three permits from three different federal agencies, OFAC, BIS, and USCG, to legally travel to Cuba. My BIS application took about a month, as did uh, the USCG permit. I applied to OFAC even though I did not need to, which also delayed the process a month. Between the BIS approval and USCG application, I waited a month before filing CG 3300. Now boaters just need the USCG permit, but I am hoping by March 2016, it is possible that no pre-approval will be necessary for boaters traveling under one of these 12 categories. We shall see. If you, uh, if you don't want to have to apply for a government permit to travel legally to Cuba, I would encourage you to send a, a, a note or a call out whitehouse.gov and tell them to not extend the emergency uh, designation with respect to Cuba this year. It's no law, it's not consistent with the current administration's policy. My sources in the U.S. Coast Guard seem to indicate that without that emergency authorization, the Coast Guard permit process could go away and all the licensing needed for a boater to legally go to Cuba would be uh, self-declared general licenses. So a boater would have to keep records, but they would not have to apply to the government. That's not the case today. I don't know if it'll be the case tomorrow. Unfortunately, the regulations are constantly changing and uh, it's just a mess. Uh, so. So without further ado, let's talk to Tate McDaniel of Sundowner Sales again. Tate's from uh, my home sailing grounds of uh, New Orleans in uh, Lake Pontchartrain. And uh, we start out by talking about his early uh, sailing uh, that led up to his big trip this year. Where did you keep your boat on Lake uh, Pontchartrain? We were... Well, for the first couple of years that we had her, uh, she was actually on the North Shore um, in Prieto's Marina. And then uh, when we got serious about the reef that we moved down to uh, South Shore Marina and kept her there. Okay, yeah, I've been to both places. We, we kept our boat in South Shore to start out with, our first boat. Uh, this boat has never been there, but... Um, well, actually, this boat was there when we bought it, and then we moved it immediately. Uh, but uh, I've definitely visited Prieto up in Mandeville. Yeah, the slip there was very, very small. It was, we were in a slip that was far too small for the width of the boat, and it was almost impossible to keep it off the pilings. Um, so it was it was a good change for us to move to the South Shore. But, you know, South Shore is, like, way less protected. And uh, when Hurricane 
Hurricane Isaac came through. There were some uh, interesting times. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I think we had pretty high water for Hurricane Isaac. I don't. I think for Isaac we we had our old boat, uh, but uh, it, it did pretty well through it. But you had a uh, little bit more trouble. Yeah, like when Isaac came, uh, I, I knew a guy, an uh, NOPD officer, and he actually, he had his boat there too. And so we went and let ourselves into the marina during the hurricane, which is probably not legal or good or anything. But uh, <laughs> we went out there, and I mean, on his boat, the, one of the pilings was just gone. Like, it, it washed away. And... Uh, on Sundowner, we had to replace several lines because they were chafing through and popping. And we ended up, I was videoing it and uh, putting it on YouTube, and people from all over the country started emailing me and saying, you know, can you check my boat? Can you check my boat? We ended up tying up, like, maybe six or seven boats that people had given us permission. And uh, we, we also kind of, we secured some lines for some people without going on their boats out there that had popped. And uh, you know, it was really crazy. Like we were walking down the pier one day and you're getting hit in the, the chest with like waves that were coming coming through there. So it was uh, it was quite the time. Well, I, I remember uh, in Isaac that we were watching a lot of uh, videos of anything we could find on the internet our boat was in orleans marina so it probably wasn't your video but i can see why that you got a lot of people interested in what you were doing oh yeah and you know you worry about stuff like that because it's not your boat but you see a boat in a lot of trouble and and you want to help that, that you say to yourself you know what's the liability like if i step on this boat and re-secure a line, can I later be blamed for damages that are incurred? And, you know, it's, it's horrible to have to think like that, but, um, you know, it's like we weren't supposed to be in that marina at all. Um, we just, I happened to be able to get through there because I was with a cop. And, uh, you know, it was, it was an interesting situation to be in, but I think we did the right thing. I know we saved a few boats. Well, uh, that's that's great that you could also document it. I think that was a probably a big relief to a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. We had thank yous uh, all over the place for months after that. People would come to town, and we'd find like a bottle of wine in the cockpit of our boat with a thank you letter or, or things like that. So you know, people really appreciated it when we were able to help them or video their boats so that they'd have peace of mind and we can say, you know, this boat's okay or this boat's having this problem. You know, would you like us to touch it, etc. Great. So was that when you first got uh, into video or were you already into video before that? Oh, no. Well, we, we did a few videos throughout the years just kind of playing around. Um, but we, we didn't really do any sort of serious uh, video until just this past couple months that we're getting into it. Like, our YouTube channel has older videos. You know, there's a few of us crossing the Gulf of Mexico. There's a video of us, uh, you know, bumbling around in Cuba and things like that. But it wasn't like a, uh, a thing where we said, okay, we're actually going to have a video log and we're going to produce videos on a such and such basis. It was just kind of whenever whenever the uh, the inspiration struck and we had the camera on. Cool. You know, I, I have a tremendous respect for anybody that does video. I know how much work audio is, so I, <laughs> I, adding the video to that, I just, uh, you know, I think a lot of people appreciate what you guys have done so far, but I think, uh, you know, I think a lot of people were attract, uh, really like your blog too. I got interested in your story. I didn't I had not heard about you guys until this year when I was kind of starting to plan because I want to take a trip from New Orleans to Panama. And so I was kind of starting to plan that and I saw that you were kind of making a lot of the stops that uh, I wanted to make, uh, at least in terms of Cuba and Isla Mujeres. Uh, I think you guys stopped at uh, Providencia and that was why... I, that was my ulterior motive, uh, besides that I think you guys have a great blog, 
uh, and great uh, YouTube channel uh, for wanted to reach out to you. Yeah, man, it's, it was really a great trip. Um, I think that the, the west coast of the Caribbean um, is really, really beautiful. Uh, we haven't been to the east side, but we talked to a lot, you know, you run into a lot of cruisers out there that have done that sort of stuff. And the general consensus was the east is more crowded, more, uh, you know, there's a lot of cruise ships there. The prices are higher. The locals aren't as local anymore. You catch my meaning. And uh, so it's a little bit more rustic out on the west side. And we really enjoyed it. That, that's what we were looking for. And originally when we left, we wanted to go to the east. You bought Sundowner in? Uh, I think we bought her, was it 2012 or maybe 2010? I don't know. It was... Uh, okay. So you I ca- spent I can't maybe exactly. three years fixing her up? Pardon? You, you spent like three years maybe getting her ready uh, for the big trip? Yeah. No, it must be it must be older than that. I think we've had we've had Sundowner for at least six years. I think That's, so. It must have been 2010, and we we spent we spent a lot of the time working on her, but really hard work for three years. The entire refit is documented in our blog. The, if you go way back to the beginning, I mean, we we took pictures of everything we did. Um, it's sort of this, it's hard to go into the blog and find it if you're going to read it sequentially. But we have the topics listed on the sidebar if you're interested in any particular, you know, part of it. But uh, definitely documented that. And I think that's where we actually picked up a lot of our readership in our blog in the early days. I mean, it just grew and grew and grew because you've got a lot of people out there that are very interested in fixing up their boats. And uh, we were meticulous in documenting what we were doing, how we were doing it, why, and also the cost. We were very, very open with every penny we spent on the boat. Yeah, I noticed and, that uh, about your blog that I think I think attracts a lot of people is your kind of cost estimates. Um, what were the big uh, things that you did in your refit? Well... <laughs> what were the big things you added um, or... Needed we, to we fix. Totally, we totally gutted the engine room to start with, and um, when I say gutted, I mean we really did. I got in there with the sawzall. We took out the fuel tanks. We took out the engine. We took out everything. Oh all my the goodness! Batteries. Okay, that's uh, a, that's a very major refit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was, right? and, th- and that was like the start of the refit. Okay. So we replaced the engine. We replaced the fuel tanks. We replaced the water tanks. Okay. We replaced the head. We replaced all the rigging, literally, like, everything except the mast and boom itself, chain plates, everything. Uh, we we gutted the entire electrical system. I rewired the entire boat. Um, new batteries, new solar setup, uh, new wind vane. Uh, we re-bedded the cap rails, which is a major issue on a West Cell 32. Danny recocked teak on the boat. I mean, pretty much everything that can be done, except for uh, certain cosmetic things, we did. It was it was really it was really a much bigger project than we originally anticipated. So, you guys put on your site that you guys uh, went to LSU. Oh, did when when did you uh, start working on Sundowner when you when you bought her? Uh, was that while you were still in college, or when you were? Oh no, we we had both been in our professional careers for a number of years. Uh, I graduated from LSU in two thousand four, and I think Danny did in oh six. I'm not sure. And so we bought the boat in twenty ten. So we, I had been out of college six years, and she had been out of college four. So had you uh, been sailing all your life, or how did you take up sailing? I'd, I'd never sailed really before. Um, when we had the plan uh, to go, the first thing we did was say, okay, well, let's do some sailing lessons. And we tried those, and they were really not doing it for us. Uh, so we started racing in the uh, Wednesday night series on Lake Pontchartrain. Mm-hmm. And um, just 
races, and that's weekend and Wednesday nights and everything. So every chance we got to be on the water, we were. Oh, wow, that's great. So you probably didn't take Sundowner out much in the early few years, uh, but you, did you take her out on many cruises before the big trip in 2015? You know, from, besides just sailing around the lake, we only went on one week-long trip on her, and we, we went over to Orange Beach, and um, my family was going on vacation over there, so we just took the boat and put up a car, and it was a really fun trip. We had a great time. But no extended cruising or anything. I mean, we just kind of jumped in a cold and went for it. So you crossed from New Orleans to Key West, is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Um, where did where did you kind of leave the Gulf ICW? Uh, was it Gulfport or was it Pensacola? No, there is a little island called Rabbit Island. It's right outside the railroad bridge um, uh, to get into Lake Pontchartrain at the Rigolese. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, we we went from right there. Okay. Right <laughs> okay. You you didn't really mention anything about your your Gulf of Mexico crossing to Key West. Did you hit any bad weather there? No, that crossing was great. Um, it, it was absolutely phenomenal. It was bitterly cold in New Orleans at the time. Well, for New Orleans, it's bitter cold. I mean, it was down near freezing. And Danny and I were just, we were freezing to death in our boat. We were anchored at Rabbit Island. We were, I just looked at her one morning and said, this is ridiculous. We got to go. But I'm going to go in the next window. And she said, okay. And so I started watching it. And a big front came through out of the north. And right on the tail end of it, as it passed over us, is when we picked up anchor and took off. And so there was another big front coming through. And we rode through the middle of those two fronts, through the entire way. Um, And we were making, you know, better than five knots almost the entire way. We didn't run the motor at all. We didn't touch the steering. I mean, it was one of those really great sailing trips where you just set the sail, set the wind vane, and lay back and relax. And so for five days, the boat was just doing its thing, like a a dog with a bone in its teeth, just going. And it it was wonderful. Awesome. So uh, you, great. And uh, how long did you spend in Key West? Uh, Two weeks, I want to say. Okay. Did you like Key Key West? Key West was the uh, scariest part of our whole trip, I think. (laughs) Okay. Uh, you know, I, I have a chapter in my book called Pirate Town. I really like Key West, but there are some somewhat shady characters you may come across. <laughs> oh, yeah. we. You know, we, we had never been cruising. Like I said, we just kind of jumped in. So this is our first stop, right? We had never been on more than an overnight sail. And we did five and a half days to cross the Gulf. And we pull into Key West. And as we're pulling in, the weather got nasty. We ship a wave over the boat. Everything's drenched. You know, it's just one of those days, right? We drop the hook, and we're like, okay, we did it. What do we do now? And we see this island, and it's got no buildings on it and lots of trees. And it's on the chart. It's Christmas Tree Island. And we Google it, and it's like a point of interest in Key West. And we see all these dinghies going over there. So we decided to go over there and check it out. We're figuring, you know, maybe this is where cruisers go. And we start walking around this island, and there's some weird people there, but it's not a big deal. And we get to one part where there's a a tree across the beach, so we have to kind of walk into the foliage. And as we walk into the foliage, this guy comes out of the forest right up to me, and he's got a machete, and he gets right in my face. And he's like, do you have a cell phone? And I was like, no. And he's like, you don't have a cell phone? I'm like, no. And then he says, he drops like the bombshell. He says, my wife has just been raped. And it was kind of like, you know, the, the record getting scratched sound. Like, what? And this, he brings this lady out and she's crying. And so he says, can you take us to shore? And I'm thinking, you know, maybe these people are like, I don't know what's going on. They don't, they look a little shady. So I say, I can take your wife back, but I don't have room for you in my dinghy. 
and we go back to the dinghy, and there's another guy on a dinghy floating there, and they point, and they're like, that's the guy. That's the rapist. And the, the, the alleged <laughs> rapist is like, hey, can I get a ride back? And I'm like, no, you've got your own dink, man. And the, the, the guy that's with me with the machete, he's, he's like, is your dinghy fast? And I'm thinking, what what is he asking me this for? Is there about to be a high-speed chase with a rapist here? That was the weirdest encounter we had on our entire trip. Wow. Uh, did you guys eventually uh, contact the police and take uh, well, the well, victim we, to we the hospital? The to shore and uh, put her on the dock and, and made sure there were people there. And we went back to our boat, and we had a cocktail and calmed down. And later on that evening, we went to shore. We were going to Pepe's, and there were a bunch of cops on the pier, and they had the alleged rapist guy on one end of the pier and the lady on the other, and they were both surrounded by police. And I don't know what came of that. Um, You know, I never followed up with it or whatever. I felt really bad. In situations like that, you don't know what's really going on. But, uh, you know, hopefully we help somebody out. I don't know. Wow, that's just the scariest thing. Uh, i just kind of shocked by that. It sounds like you were anchored out. Um, maybe you were anchored on the, the west side of Key West. Is that right? Yeah, we were on the west side. We were, we were between um, Christmas Tree and whatever the island is to the east of that. You know, like near where the, uh, the Coast Guard uh, yeah. So there's a there's a huge Coast Guard station on the west side of Key West, and it's Wisteria Island and that other stuff. There's a huge anchorage there, and so the the victim and the rapist were anchored there too, and they were staying. They you came across them. I I I think that the victim, uh, her and the guy she was with, I believe that they were just like living on that island, uh, like maybe in tents or something. They, I think they were, you know, there's a lot of people that just live in tents on that island, apparently. We found this out after the fact, of course, but... Um, and so they both were kind of living in tents there. Wow. <laughs> but, you, know, you know, people often ask us, um, family and friends and, and people that haven't been cruising, you know, aren't you scared? Isn't it scary out there and pirates and third world countries and storms and all these terrible things? And, uh, you know, that was <laughs> the scariest thing that happened to us right there next to home, you know, in a, in a U.S. city and um, out of everything. And so it can, it can really get you anywhere. you got to be on your guard out there. You know? Yeah, I think, I think that's totally true. There is There's definitely a... Uh, especially in Key West, uh, there's there's an element. I mean, we we use the bu- the buses in Key West are awesome. You can you can track the bus to the minute. Uh, but one time I was on the bus and a couple guys came on and they were just basically swapping stories of their assaults that got them in prison. So, <laughs> so, so I was glad I didn't get to know them very well <laughs> and, and got off the bus and they did not get off with me. So, so I think there there is there is some of that element there, and there are definitely there are definitely some kind of small islands around Key West that are kind of have squatters on them. You definitely had bad luck there, but I I think there is some you know some situations that are a little sketchy. Yeah, and you know some good came out of it because it happened very early on in our trip. It was our first stop, and so it instilled a. Uh, a higher need for uh, caution and personal safety in us right away. You know, we said, well, we were still in the United States. We felt comfortable. You know, we know the culture. But even so, no matter where we go now, um, we're, we're more aware of our surroundings and trying to get a feel for a place. Because most places you go, you know, if you end up in a bad neighborhood, you know you're in a bad neighborhood and you need to get out. But this place, there was no indication until it happened so we're a little more aware and we try to scout things out or research them before we walk in blind. Okay, so from Key West you went to Cuba. When we got to Cuba, it, 
it completely and radically changed our plans. We we went out to like Pinar del Rio and some of the more remote places in Cuba, and we had such a good time. It, it, when we got back to the boat, we said, "What what are we thinking? We don't want to go to to you know another Key West or any beaches out there, beautiful and everything." And I'm not trying to say it's not a great place. We wanted something a little further away, you know. In fact, uh, since we left New Orleans, we stayed in exactly one marina, and that was in Cuba, and that's because you have to there on the north side. On the north side, you can't uh, anchor out uh, near any population center. And uh, so we were forced into Marina Hemingway. But outside of that, we, we never pulled into a dock, ever. Um, so uh, how did how did you find Cuba? Um, did you just stay at Marina Hemingway and uh, kind of travel by land most of the time? Yeah, exactly. Um, we were able to find taxis. I, I mean, it's it's a long country, but if you travel north south, it's very easy to uh, get around. Uh, it's not far, and you can really visit some beautiful places from Marina Hemingway. Uh, Havana is a short trip away, of course, and uh, Pinar del Rio is just like an hour and a half car ride, and we found other travelers that were traveling around that had rented cars and things like this, uh, a lot of Europeans and Australians and New Zealanders uh, vacation there, so you just hook up with those guys and say, hey, we'll pay for a little bit of your car, you know, if you bring us to this place, and it, it really wasn't a big deal at all. Uh, did, how did you find the shopping in uh, Cuba in terms of just maybe just basic foodstuffs? Was that difficult, easy? Um, yeah, I know it's opening up. I don't know how it is now, but when we were there, I would recommend you bring everything you're going to cook on your own boat. Um, the shopping there is absolutely atrocious. It's some of the worst we've seen. Um, the you could eat, if you went to to the little um, local restaurants, not the tourist restaurants, because there's kind of the, you know, this, this separation in Cuba where there's stuff that's set aside for tourists and it's touristy and you pay tourist prices. But if you go into the little town, um, Hamanitas is right next to, you can walk to it from Marina Hemingway. And there's several little eateries in there that for a dollar you can get a huge plate of food that'll fill you up. Uh, it's not the best food in the world, but it's healthy and good. And so you, you end up in a situation where you can eat out more cheaply than you can buy groceries in Cuba. And um, so we did that a lot. You know, we would just walk over to the little town and get a to-go box for like a dollar per meal and and take it back with us. And we, we generally keep around six months of stores on Sundowner at any given time. So we cooked a lot um, on the boat. We actually fed some of the security guards in Marina Hemingway. Like we gave one guy a peanut butter and Nutella sandwich, and he had never had anything like that before in his life. And he just went wild, you know, his eyes lit up. And he gave him uh, chocolate covered cherries. And man, they thought that was the greatest thing they had ever had. <laughs> so uh, shopping is not good there for food stuff. Um, of course, you can get cigars and things like that. And rum is very, very inexpensive in Cuba. If you need to uh, stock up on, on rum, it's a good place to do it. Yeah, I heard that uh, beer is really inexpensive if you bring your own bottle. <laughs> yeah, we, we, never, uh, we never found anywhere that... We never like bought beer and put it in our own bottle. Um, if you buy the canned beer there, uh, the... The local Cuban brand is Cristal. Um, it's like a, I don't know, it's a, it's a lager. It's not great, but it's not bad. And generally, if you're out and about, it's going to run you about $1 U.S. per can. So uh, it's in line with a lot of the places we visited. But, you know, the, the rum was ridiculous because we went and we bought like two cases of Havana Club liter bottles and put them on the boat, and we're looking at them before we leave, and, and uh, I'm with Danny, I'm like, maybe we should go get some more, and she says, hey, you have two cases of rum, and I'm like, but Danny, we only spent
that's great. Uh, I'm glad you're able to find the deals. Uh, so if somebody is uh, visiting, uh, I guess, uh, Marina Hemingway, where, where do you think it, what were the, your favorite places uh, that you visited? Uh, right around Marina Hemingway, you mean? Or just uh, within striking distance. Yeah, Havana Havana is definitely an interesting stop. Um, the old forts and some of the old architecture there is really amazing. Um, you can spend a lot of time in Havana or just a day trip is fun there. There's a lot of historical things that you can dig into and, and see. Um, there's a lot of the Hemingway stuff over there. Uh, I really like Comanitas. It's the it's the very small town right next to um, Marina Hemingway that you can walk to, and the people there are very nice. And there's even a sushi restaurant there that was sort of weird to us. We didn't expect to find that, um, but it was pretty good. There's uh, a local artist. Uh, I'm trying to remember his name right now, but it's not coming to me. But he does tile work, and his house. Oh, it's Booster. The artist's name is Booster. His house was just, I don't know how to describe it. It's this huge complex, and every surface is coated in these giant tile murals. And uh, that's definitely worth a stop and to look at. And if you want to go a little bit further, uh, anywhere in the Pinar del Rio region is just really beautiful. It's big limestone cliffs uh, surrounded by farms and tobacco fields and things like this, and um, you can go and find, the, there's places you can stay overnight where it's a Cuban house, but they rent out one room to tourists. They have a little symbol above the door. Uh, if it's, I think if it's red, it means it's for Cubans only, and if it's blue, it's for tourists, or, or the other way around, I forget which one it is. But uh, they're really reasonable, and anyone that you stop out there, I think the government mandates they have certain things like air conditioning and, and whatnot, so you can you can go to them and stay cheaply almost anywhere you travel over land. Um, so it, it's really an interesting place. Uh, did it take you a long time to clear in and clear out? No, no, it really didn't. And... Um, there were very mixed reviews uh, from the people that we talked to in Cuba on that. Uh, some people really got read the riot act, and other people just breezed right through. Uh, the entire clearance procedure for us maybe lasted an hour. Um, they did search the boat, but it wasn't a serious search. I mean, they kind of poked around in a few cabinets, and and whatnot. Uh, we actually, it's also the only place that the health official did anything. He took our temperatures and uh, made us read some worksheet about Ebola. Um, but it, it, wasn't, it wasn't bad. About five miles offshore, I took a shower and changed into long pants and a collared shirt when we arrived. Uh, I didn't want to show up looking like a bum, and I, was, I just tried to be as polite as I could, and Danny is charming as usual, and uh, I think that went a long way with the authorities there. A lot of Americans, you know, when we went, it was illegal, and it wasn't even sort of open then, and there were, there's a lot of Americans that had been going there, and um, a lot of the people that show up are kind of these, like, uh, bum boats from... West and they show up and they're, they're kind of drunk or disrespectful or, or you know they're, they're not very nice and I think the, the Cuban officials uh, they really grill those people um, so if you just show up and you don't look like that I think you can get through pretty easily Cuba you went to uh, what to, uh, Isla Mujeres Isla Mujeres and, and how long a passage was it for you to Isla Mujeres. It was a three-day trip. Three-day trip. And um, your trip from sorry, just to go back, your trip from uh, basically the entrance to Lake Pontchartrain to uh, in in Louisiana uh, to Key West. How long a trip was that? Uh, that trip was five and a half days. Oh wow! Okay, so you had kind of light winds, maybe, or is it just it was a it was 600 miles or something. I'm not... Yeah, I mean, 
it was it was about six hundred miles, and um, you know, hull speed on a West Sail thirty two is like six knots. So if we do four knots, a hundred mile day is a good day for us. Okay. Um, we but the the trip from Key West to Cuba was one day, and then from Hemingway to Isla Mujeres was three days, and that was a really hard trip. Uh, we had really fluky air as you pass the north on the north coast of Cuba. You have like wind that funnels between the mountains, and so you're either getting blasted or you're like in a hole, not moving. And then when you get out to the uh, the crossing to Isla Mujeres from Cuba, the the Gulf Stream funnels up right in that spot. So we were bucking like two and a half, three knots of current. And uh, that was pretty rough. So when you were uh, going from Marina Hemingway to the kind of the western tip of Cuba, were you taking advantage of the countercurrent, or were you out of the Gulf Stream right then? So yeah, we tried to hug the coast pretty good. Um, we stayed in and, and tried to stay in that countercurrent, but we were just in really light winds most of the time. Or it, it was sort of a feast or famine, like I said. Um, you were either getting blasted or you had nothing. So when you so there was a lot of lot of spinnaker up and down that day, you know. Okay. Uh, so when you got uh, in, into the Gulf Stream, it uh, it was blowing a bit harder, maybe from the east <laughs> or the north. No, we we actually had a south wind that when we were it was it was like the worst of all worlds. We had. Waves out of the south, a south wind, and fighting the, the Gulf Stream, which is going from south to north. So we kind of had everything working against us when we were trying to make south. And, um, oh, uh, well, so, well, in one sense, maybe it was good that you had a south wind, that it wasn't wind against current? Yeah, yeah, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't like kicking up a huge chop or anything like that, so that was nice, but... Uh, it's still really hard to be giving it all you got and be making one knot, you know? Yeah, the Yucatan current's going to push you north there or push you, it's going to turn around and, well, you know, it's kind of fluky there, right? Right on the Yucatan channel, you could be you could be pushed out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, you could be pushed uh, around the Straits of Florida. It's kind of, it depends on exactly where you are and where the current's going that day, although... It's generally going to be pushing you north, I would think. Yeah, and it was when we were there. Danny had a panic, panic moment. She was saying, hey, we're going to get flushed into the Gulf. What do we do? I said, don't worry, baby. We'll just go home. You should have seen the look on her face. Yeah, my, you know, my thing for the trip this, uh, I want to leave in May after my classes end, uh, is uh, to, to uh, go straight to Isla. Uh, with the hopes of being on the other side of the the loop current coming out of the Yucatan, um, and then and then from there, uh, try to make my easting along the southern Cuba coast. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good plan. Actually, um, a lot of people do that. They'll they'll go to Cuba, make their easting, and then drop down to Cayman, and then from Cayman go ahead Providencia. Yeah, that, that's the that's the plan. We'll see how it works out. <laughs> to get a a day light enough to to motor through the Yucatan Channel, I don't know. That might take some time. Yeah, but you know, you just you just kind of let Mother Nature tell you what to do. So uh, you had you were pushed north. Uh, you're making like a knot, uh, but you eventually um, made it. Did you did you get any? Uh, it sounds like you you. You were determined to sail it the whole way. You weren't going to turn on the Iron Jenny or anything. Uh, did you get any uh, bad weather on that leg? No, not on that leg. It really wasn't bad. Um, we did run the motor towards the end. We we hadn't we we didn't have a lot of fuel on board. I didn't pick up diesel in Cuba, and so. We were kind of low on, on diesel, and we couldn't motor the whole way or anything like that. So what I did was I sailed as long and hard as I could, so we were just almost getting nothing, almost going backwards. 
and I fired up the motor and I just headed straight west and got as close over there as I could and then started coming down. I kind of got on the other side of the Gulf Stream and that that bought us enough uh, slack to make the south into Isla. Okay. Uh, and then how long did you stay in Isla? We stayed there for three and a half months. Oh, okay. Um, Sounds like it was nice. Was, well, it, was, it wasn't by choice. We, uh, we were originally going to stay there for like one month and we were ready to head out we wanted to go to Guatemala and then a series of events happened that kept us there there was a a storm that came through and we had to wait on it then we had a weather window but my father called he had become ill and I needed to fly back to the states uh, to attend him and so I was gone for three weeks then when I got back we had to wait for another weather window then Danny became ill and we weren't going to sail until she, I knew she was totally healthy again. And so all these things kind of conspired to keep us there longer than we wanted to be. So when you when you left uh, to, to visit your dad uh, and maybe take care of Danny's illness, uh, did you leave the boat in a, a marina or? No, when I went home, uh, Danny stayed on the boat. I was gone for... I want to say three weeks, and she stayed on the boat in the anchorage. And uh, before I left, I, I, I put out a second anchor, um, and it actually worked out because the anchor, the main anchor, dra- there was a dragon. There was like a 180 wind ship, so the second anchor was a really good deal. And and when I got back, we again stayed on the boat. Danny just needed antibiotics and time. And we were comfortable in the anchorage, so we just stayed there the whole time. Yeah, I I heard that the anchorage in Isla is kind of uh, grassy. Is that right? Or yeah, it's it's a lot of there's a lot of turtle grass on the bottom there, and so um, it's very easy to drag there, and it's also worrisome if the boats are packed in tight because you know someone could drag down on you but you can go into the lagoon and uh it's a little more protected in there but it's just warmer because you don't get as much breeze and everything and and were you in the lagoon most of the time or you were in kind of the outer anchorage no we stood in the outer anchorage the entire time so in the next episode uh we're gonna pick up with where we left off uh, with Tate McDaniel of Sundowner Sales again. And uh, he'll talk about his travels from Isla Mujeres on the Yucatan Peninsula, uh, Peninsula of Mexico to uh, Providencia and then to Panama. And then his reasons for not sailing the South Pacific this year and why he thinks this is a better year to take an RV across the United States. Um, Tate and Danny's uh, big goal is to sail around the world, and uh, I think everybody's going to enjoy following their progress. And he's got a lot of great stories on our next podcast. If you want to help out the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast, you can check out my books, uh, How to Sail Around the World Part-Time, Today, it's going for $0.99 cents on Amazon. Uh, there are lots of people that downloaded it. We had uh, over 700 that have uh, got a copy. And the first week is not even over yet. You can also check out my book, uh, Slow Boat to the Bahamas. It's got a lot of current information in there about our 2015 cruise of the Bahamas. Uh, It's a funny look at uh, sailing in a small boat with a four-year-old and a four-pound dog. To take a look at the show notes and connect with these books or Sundowner Sales again, uh, go to slowboatsailing.com. There the links to the books are on the front page and the link to uh, the blog will take you to the show notes for and the links to sundowner sales again 
Until next time, this has been Linus Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Fair winds and following seas. Hi, I'm Jana Wilson. Thank you for listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Subscribe to our free newsletter at slowboatsailing.com.